Um, we can really get caught up as parents just thinking we're doing things the wrong way or, you know, um, we're, we're really hard on ourselves, right? We want to be um, perfectionist in parenting. The only wrong way to do it is not, is not attempting to do anything, you know, not having these conversations. I'm Leon Guidry, and this is the Brother Be Well podcast, sponsored by Blue Shield of California's Blue Sky Initiative. Today, we're addressing trauma and healing with an emphasis on boys and men of color. It's about to get real with our hosts, experts, and guests. Gather around, y'all. Hi, I'm Michael P. Coleman, content director for Brother Be Well. Today, in one of a series of Brother Be Well conversations in our Parents and Caregivers series, made possible by the support of Blue Shield of California's Blue Sky Initiative, we're discussing strategies and tips for talking with children about mental health. My partner for today's conversation, marriage and family therapist and Brother Be Well clinical advisor, Christian Jacobs. Christian, welcome back to Brother Be Well. How you doing? Hi, how's it going, Michael? Really good. Always good to see you and, and always I look forward to conversations like this. So I'm, I'm ready for it. You set? I'm, I'm excited for this one. Let's, let's get on into it. And I bet you're excited for one of the same reasons I'm, I'm excited. I want to set the stage. I'm a parent of two. They're both adults now. But when they were younger, I rarely, if ever, frankly, talked to them about mental health while they were growing up. I just didn't have the skill set. I didn't know how to do it. There were no videos like this one to help me do it. I would imagine you, as a marriage and family therapist, might have the counter experience. But I just want to confirm that. Have you spoken with your own daughter about mental health? Actually, I have. The funny thing is, is you know, um, as a therapist, you would think that talking about mental health to my child would be easy, right? Um, but it's almost like uh, the concept as a um, as a barber, right? You can cut someone else's hair easily, um, but it may be a little difficult to like cut your own hair in that same fashion. So that's kind of the analogy I use um, looking at this. You know, you have the skills, you have the training, you know, as a barber to cut hair, but you know when you're applying it to your own self, your own life, maybe a little more difficult. So actually many therapists uh, do struggle with this, actually, you know, um, that concept and uh, to provide, you know, patients with um, that, that day-to-day basis and utilize those tools in their own backyard because there are emotions attached to it. And, you know, you're being subjective. So um, it's a little different. And so what I've done, just found other ways to talk to her about mental health, you know, where she may not know exactly that we're talking about mental health, um, but you got to be really creative. So um, I really just learned to, you know, as a parent to, you know, stay consistent regardless because uh, they are indeed listening. Yeah, they certainly are. They listen to everything we say, listen to everything we do, too. Let's talk about that, that the specifics of talking with children. I, I know it's challenging. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be daunting as long as you do it the right way. I think just based on my experience as a parent, you know this, Christian, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. Kids are bright. They're strong. They're resilient. And the key is to be honest, I would think, to be upfront and transparent about the topic and to give them information in an age-appropriate manner. I'm wondering, sir, and feel free not to, but can you either rubber stamp that or can you get me and the rest of the Brother Rewell family straight on those points? Oh, no, you're you're on point there. You know, I think honesty, um, being transparent, um, and also age appropriateness is, is important too. It's good. You know, an important first step um, that I think should be considered before doing any of those really is understanding the concept of meeting your child where they are. You know, that's the most most challenging thing that I think we as parents forget to do. You know, we um, try to use big words or talk to them where we're at. So, um, so that's one thing. And many people hear that concept, you know, meet me where uh, meet them where they are, but may not really understand what that truly looks like. 
So I'll try and like paint a picture for you. You know, meeting them, meeting them where they are really requires the parents to consider the, you know, the child's age, the maturity, which only that parent really knows uh, the, 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 the developmental stage, you know, where they are developmentally, you know, and understand that social emotional learning is, uh, is not familiar to most kids. That's not a concept that's taught in schools as of yet. We're getting there. Um, using simple words and using simple concepts, maybe analogies um, based on something that they're already familiar with, like the, the comparison of going to the doctor for a broken arm versus a mental health condition. They're no different, you know, uh, which is a weird phenomenon when you think about it. Um, but it's true. Uh, the second thing is really of importance is understanding the importance of play therapy. You know, play therapy is more effective than talk therapy for children. And studies, all the studies show that's been proven. You know, play therapy works similar uh, to talk therapy for adults, um, except children are able to use their preferred method of expression. So play to describe their inner world. So they're, they're playing out their emotions and what, they're, what they want to say. So you want to get them engaged in doing something they uh, enjoy before you try and talk to them about something difficult and tough, such as mental health. And the same goes for teens. You know, as a child expresses themselves with toys, you know, the therapist is invited to their, they're invited into their world and into their thoughts. So a relationship forms between the therapist and the child through um, that expression and that uh, ability to cope and um, the rejection of their thoughts and things of that sort. So it's really helpful for them. And, you know, one other thing too is, you know, therapy sessions is really strategic. So um, in, in, a, in a therapy room, everything is strategically placed. So the chairs, the toys, uh, the furniture, um, everything is strategically placed for illicit play from a child. So there's a reason for that. And so um, you also want to disassociate the condition from the person. So most children and adults, for that matter, they struggle, um, they struggle a lot uh, with the, the mental health internally because of the shame associated with being depressed. I'll give you an example. Um, there's one way of saying I'm depressed versus um, depression is affecting me or, you know, depression is a part of me. So being depressed uh, versus, you know, or psychotic versus a person who experiences depression or a person who has psychotic moments, there's a difference there. You're, you're not you're not associating that as you. So you're not labeling yourself this this way. When you talk to them about the issues, they can disconnect easier from that labeling concept that mental health and the healthcare system currently does now. That's a that's a, a wonderful distinction, Christian. And I hadn't thought about it before. Helping the child, uh, as you said, disassociate from from what the issue is, what they're dealing with. That's that's really brilliant. I appreciate you sharing it. Appreciate you sharing it. I'm wondering about. Uh, I want to talk to you about the National Alliance on Mental Illness, uh, NAMI. They suggest a number of helpful hacks in talking to children about mental health. And it's not every day we get a, a marriage and family therapist of your caliber with us. So I like to take advantage of it when we do. If you don't mind, let's take a look at a few of these and, and see, get your take on them. The, the first of their suggestions is make an analogy to a medical problem. You touched on that really briefly a second ago. What are your overall thoughts about that as a way to help a child understand a concept that might be a little beyond where they're at? You know, that uh, an analogy is similar to, you know, um, imagination and metaphors, right? And, and as I was saying before in the previous question, that's how you reach a child. So that's a very effective way to explain mental health to a child. Um, and believe it or not, it's a good way to explain mental health to adults too, um, because it gives someone a relatable topic they can relate to and practice. Uh, like I like I use, I use the broken arm analogy all the time. You know, um, when you break your arm, what happens? You go to the doctor. And once you go to the doctor, what happens? They 
prescribe something to you. They, they, they develop a treatment plan. Okay, you're going to go to therapy after six to eight weeks after your cast comes off. Once you go to you know therapy, physical therapy, you know you'll you'll go through your your treatment, and then we'll come back and we'll reassess you. And you use that analogy, you know, where it's no different for mental health. And so you want that parity. You want that similarity between physical and mental health. It makes a lot of sense when you explain it that way. I appreciate it, my friend. Let's take a look at another of their suggestions, listening to children and validating their experiences. That that overall, that validation I found to be really important as a parent. Why is it even more important when you're talking with a child about mental illness? No, validate, validate, validate. That's, um, that is something that's very important. Um, it's a very important one. I'm going to spend a little time explaining this one. You know, it's the most common issue I see in practice, actually, um, before implementing. I'd say this, um, that's really beneficial for parents to understand the why part of validating a child's experiences and how it improves that, um, that parent-child relationship and their ability to communicate. You know, um, validation is one of the most powerful parenting tools, actually. And yet it's often left out of traditional behavioral training programs that you may go to with um, your healthcare setting, you know, because validation really improves a child's ability to regulate emotions. And um, they learn how to handle the big emotions that often lead to tantrums, meltdown and conflict, because when you see those meltdowns and the tantrums and the conflict, that's they're telling you something. They're, they're, they're trying to communicate something to you. They don't have the words for it. So it's also easy for parents to invalidate feelings. Right. For example, um, here's a very common one, right? Trying to calm a child down. So the minute you try and calm a child down, um, you, it, it, subconsciously you're invalidating their feelings. Instead, you can validate and normalize their feelings by acknowledging that they're upset. So you acknowledge, yeah, I understand you're upset and give them healthy coping tools and teaching them you know, better ways how to let out that anger. Um, one that I give uh, to patients is uh, the pillow method. You know, Allowing that child to go in that room and let it all out on that pillow. Scream into the pillow, punch into the pillow, kick into the pillow. Let them get that aggression out because um, you know that aggression is natural and it's necessary. So validation isn't always about fixing the problems for our children or, or you know trying to change their emotional experience. It's about allowing your child really to sit with their emotions and acknowledge it, and then um, and teach them healthy coping mechanisms to uh, deal with their their symptoms. Really appreciate hearing that, Kristen. And it's a good reminder, I'm sure, for some parents, validate, validate, validate. But for some, it might be a, a, a new concept. So I appreciate you sharing that. Another of NAMI's hacks is children need to know that they are in no way at fault regarding their mental health or the, their own mental health or the mental health of a family member. How do parents communicate that? Because it's easy to take that blame on. It's easy for anyone, a child or otherwise, to say, this is my fault. So how do you best, as a parent or caregiver, communicate to the child, you're not at fault here? Well, that's very powerful because it's very a very complex topic. Um, well, uh, there's no perfect time or age when the conversation should occur. You know, it's, it's, it's really not a, a certain time. But, you know, when you have um, the discussion it's really important to and how you deliver it. So you have to assess the developmental age of your child. You know, that's like one of the main concepts. You'll hear that theme um, several times, you know, when I'm talking because it's very important. Uh, but when a parent has a mental health condition, you know, have the discussion during times of, um, of increased stress. It sounds weird, right? But having those conversations during times of increased stress and struggle where the child has noticed your behavior shift. So um, those 
those opportunities may open to talk and have that conversation. You know, that may look a little weird, but actually when you're having those times of, you know, conflict and stress is when you can utilize those tools and skills. And also you want to really explain to them that you have a medical condition um, that is mental. And there are times where mom or dad isn't feeling well, you know, just like a cold, right? Just like um, an injury. Um, they may be tired or moody. So you're explaining to them, this is transparency. You know, transparency is everything in this situation because children are smart. They're going to pick up. They're going to pick up when you're coping or you're, um, um, you're, you're, uh, you're using other substances to, to cope with something else. They're smart. So um, this also builds empathy in children, too. So uh, because they're the next um, next time a parent has an episode, subconsciously, the child may say, oh, this is what that's, this is that mental condition mom was talking about. This is they told me they're going to be like this. Right. Versus, oh, my God, what's going on with my parent? So as for a child experiencing a mental health condition, let them know it's not their fault and they didn't catch it like a cold. You know, it's not something you just caught. Let them know that they're you're there to support them, their children's books and things of that sort. Is it something, Christian, that you, you have to remind children of repeatedly? Is that is that a concept they're not at fault that they tend to get fairly quickly? Or is it one that you might have to remind them again and again and again? Yes, it is something that you want to remind them uh, over and over again. You want to keep them on track because it's repetitive hearing, right? So you want them to hear that it's not their fault because they're going to forget and have short-term memory. So it is important that you do that. Let me ask another question. And, and according to NAMI, you need, we need to involve the whole family in these conversations about mental health. Why is it so important that the entire family be a part of these conversations? You know, I always say this, you know, there's, there's really no such thing as individual counseling for children. You know, it's automatically family counseling. So it's good to include the whole family system because, you know, when you look at the family system, you know, because mental health conditions impact everyone, you know, sometimes a child's mental health issue derives from an existing maladaptive or unhealthy family system. So a lot of those symptoms that a child is seeing are kind of, sometimes they come from the, the dysfunctional family system, the, the, the nuclear issue. So uh, more importantly, in order to find for a child to improve in that area, you know, it may require the parents to receive some psychoeducation or parenting classes to become aware of how their parenting style is really exacerbating or worsening um, that medical condition for, uh, for the child. That's another one, uh, Christian, and I feel like we're really tapping you. You're the expert here. So I'm trying to get as much information out of you as I can. It's important I understand that conversations with children about mental health are frequent. We have them a lot and that adults allow children to ask questions. I'm wondering from your perspective as a marriage and family therapist, why is that so important? And what's the best way, in your opinion, to make space for, for children to have those conversations that they're absolutely a part of, that they're an active participant in? You know, it's important to really have, you know, these conversations frequently because, you know, like anything else, it becomes easier to talk about something um, the more it occurs. So, you know, it also reduces the shame and stigma around the conversation, uh, the more it occurs as well. So one way to make space is to uh, is actually reading books, uh, reading books with them. Um, a couple of books that I use is uh, I, I am I am enough. It's an age appropriate book from ages you know uh, two up to twelve years old. Um, or mental health, um, what is that? Uh, that's another book that's really useful for uh, teenagers and adolescents that are good for uh, young ones as well. So some of these books are really helpful too because you're reading a book with them and you're and and of course kids like to hear 
you know, someone read to them, read them a story, you know, why not make it a mental health related book where there's tons of authors out there who are focusing on, you know, um, focusing on that. And children are also wired to learn over time. So, you know, if the conversations start early while they're young, it could become a part of their everyday language. You know, you can make, um, you may start to hear things like mom and dad, you hurt my feelings and that made me sad and things like that. So for younger children, it's best to read those books. And as they get older, you know, it gets challenging uh, as a teen. So teen conversations may become more difficult. So it's recommended, you know, to just keep talking to them, you know, just keep talking. Even if they do not respond, they're listening and checking, checking, using those open ended questions and like that will actually force them to provide, you know, more responses. Uh, examples. Tell me about some of the challenges um, at your school today versus how was school today? One's open ended, one's closed ended questions. So those are some examples. So keeping those questions open ended and many of them over time and making it a part of your ongoing a pattern of conversation with your kids. I think that's what I, I'm hearing you say. Absolutely. Let me ask you another one, uh, Kristen, if you don't mind. Uh, and I almost didn't didn't plan to ask you this. Um, why is it it's so important to talk about self-care and prevention with children? I happen to think it's important to, to, to focus on self-care with everybody, but we're talking about talking about mental health with children. So I wanted to ask you, why is self-care such an important topic when we're talking to our kids? Oh, man. You know, this this one's good because it's good. It, it goes against a lot of the theories of parenting. Right. Most it really teaches them to be selfish. So in a good way, in a productive way. So children are always answering to an authority figure. Right. They're always going and answering to someone, parents, teachers, hall monitors, um, therapists, uh, doctors, things of that sort. So parental figures, they, they see that children are selfish in negative ways. Uh, such as not sharing, not thinking about others, speaking out of turn. So when parents teach children about self-care, it demonstrates that self-care is positively a selfish thing. You can call it self-love if you like. You know, that's another way to uh, phrase it towards a child. So self-care can really help kids, you know, of all ages become more introspective. So they're looking at what's important to them and aware of their physical and emotional needs. That's the most important thing. Um, self-care teaches that, you know, what's important to me, what makes me feel good. And even small acts of self-care uh, and self-help can dis- and, um, decrease that stress and it helps them to self-cope and self-soothe themselves. And it also helps prevent, you know, future mental health conditions down the road. Because uh, we remember depression and uh, borderline personality, anxiety, and other, other childhood disorders, they're, they're created through environmental factors. So if you can re- um, eliminate some of those environmental issues, by you know, uh, administering self-care and understanding how to express your feelings at an early age and regulate themselves, it'll go a long way. I had never thought about, Kristen, I appreciate you saying that, that talking about self-care is in, in, on some level encouraging children to be selfish. And I think maybe that for adults, it's a, it's, it's a little hard sometimes to put yourself first and to build self-care into a regular uh, regimen. And I didn't, it never occurred to me that is kind of counter to what we teach people. We teach people to think of another person first. And with self-care, you got to get that down. You have to take care of yourself before you can take care of anybody else. Would you agree? Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. This next one, man, is it's hard. I hesitated to, to get into it with you, but it's so important. No one really wants to talk about suicide. And I would imagine that a lot of parents struggle with how we talk about suicide with children. We know that that teens are, are, you know, we're losing teenagers every day to suicide in numbers that are, are staggering to me. I don't even like to think about it. Why should we talk about suicide with children? And most importantly for this conversation, how do we do that? 
Well, as you said, it can be a tough topic, you know, uh, because look at society, societal norms have made it difficult or um, there's a stigma around it, right? Um, but most parents don't know where to start. You know, it's important to discuss, you know, uh, discuss suicide because our children are living in the same world as us adults. They're seeing the same thing. They're witnessing the same things going on, the police brutality, um, the school shootings, the massive, the, uh, the mass shootings, uh, seeing their friends at school one day and the next they're deported um, from uh, abductions. Uh, my daughter on our softball team, you know, just recently, a couple of weeks ago, um, her, her teammate committed suicide. She was 13 years old. Her first experience as an, uh, you know, um, an older experiencing death, you know. So they're experiencing adult issues on a day to day basis. So it's important to explain to them the differentiation between sadness and suicide or suicidal ideation and suicide. You can be sad. And, and it doesn't mean you're suicidal or you can be thinking about, man, it would be nice to not be here right now versus I want to kill myself. So teaching them the differences and the language between the two, letting them know that just because you thought dur um, during a frustration part of your life, it was frustrating, you know, oh, this world is so hard. You know, it's not a suicidal ideation, but you want to explore those thoughts of anguish with them, too, though. You want to explore where it's coming from. Um, an effective way to talk about it really is bringing it up uh, in a natural setting like. Um, I seen on the news that this happened to a celebrity today. What do you think about that? And that kind of opens the door. It can be someone, uh, a celebrity that they know of, you know, um, but always in the conversation by letting them know that help is available. Um, you're there uh, to talk if needed. And you can find the resources if you don't know the answers. That's the main key points that you want to get across to them. Really, those are some great points, Christian. Really, really appreciate it. We're just about out of time before I let you get out of here. Again, we don't have a marriage and family therapist of your caliber every day, so I'd like to take advantage of it while we do. Anything we've missed in this conversation, any final thoughts you want to impart to our viewers and listeners here at Brother Be Well about this, this critical topic, talking to children about mental health, anything else you want to share? Um, I think just to close, you know, I would like to share for the parents, caregivers listening that just keep in mind that there's no manual how to do this. You know, uh, we can really get caught up as parents just thinking we're doing things the wrong way or, you know, uh, we're, we're really hard on ourselves. Right. We want to be um, perfectionist in parenting. So there's really there's not a right way. There's not a manual. You know, the only wrong way to do it is not <laughs> is not attempting to do anything, you know, not having these conversations not trying to engage and, you know, keep reaching out to them. And um, so, something else I would think is, you know, always keep in mind the maturity and the uh, developmental level of your child. If you know they have a mental health condition, ADHD, for example, that um, within the, um, the frontal lobe is, is the executive functioning part of the brain, you know, their maturity level may be a little behind. They may be 13, but maturity-wise, it may be 9 or 10. You know, uh, so understanding the, 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 the background behind what their maturity level and developmental level is, you know, and last, I will always say is educate yourself. You know, that's really important. Uh, there's a ton of books and resources out there where plenty of uh, research has gone into, you know, see if it, any of it fits your parenting style, you know, and, and always check the, the source to see if it's, you know, coming from a credible place. That's really important too to see where that literature and where that um, those books are coming from. I could not. That's a perfect way to end, sir. I can't think of a more credible source than Christian Jacobs, marriage and family therapist and Brother Be Well clinical advisor. You the man, Christian. Really appreciate you. Hey, you're not too bad yourself, Michael. Well, I appreciate it. But hang on. Don't don't get too far away. We're letting you go this time, but we'll be back in touch for more editions of this Parents and Caregiver series. Thank you, Christian. Thank you, Michael. 
And I want to give you one more uh, resource that we didn't get a chance to touch on. NAMI has developed a wonderful resource for talking to our kids about mental health. It's a coloring and activity book. It's called Meet Little Monster. It's great. It's also free. It's available in English and Spanish, and it's available for download at NAMI.org. For our listeners, that's NAMI.org. NAMI.org. Download it for free. It also includes a list of mental health resources. I want to thank our sponsor uh, of this uh, particular talk and the entire Parents and Caregiver series, Blue Shield of California, and specifically their Blue Sky Initiative. That initiative boosts access to mental health support. You can read all about it at bluesky.blueshieldca.com. That's bluesky.blueshieldca.com. Another website, memorize this one for me, Brother Be Well. This video and a host of others, audio podcasts, print pieces, all designed to help boys and men of color, 13 and up, African-American, Latinx, Asian and Pacific Islander, and Native and Indigenous be just as healthy and frankly, as well as we can possibly be. We're a membership supported service. If you can join us, that's great. If you'd like to sign up for our blog, you can do that too. Just give us your email address and two or three times a week, you'll get notifications when entries just like this video go live. So check all of that out at brotherbewell.com. My name, Michael P. Coleman. I'm content director for Brother Be Well. It's a great honor to, to, to serve in that role for you. Do two quick things for me. And I know I'm asking a lot of you today, but do two quick things for me. Take great care of yourself. And we're trying to help you do that. When you get that down, reach out and grab somebody. Take care of somebody else too. Until next time, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Brother Be Well podcast. I'm Leon Guidry. Shout out to our sponsor, Blue Shield of California's Blue Sky Initiative. It takes a village, and we're doing our part to address and heal trauma while supporting parents and caregivers along the way. Thanks for stopping by, and remember, my brothers, be well.